Welcome to Think Like a Dog podcast, where we explore dog behavior and psychology-based training to help your dog achieve their full potential. All right, welcome back to Think Like a Dog podcast. Today, it's Millie and I here, just like old times. <laughs> and we yeah. are going to cover some questions. These are the longest questions that we had before we didn't get to. Um, so it's fun because we're going to get some more information um, in these questions. They they really detailed what their problems are. And, and it's, you know, this way we can discuss different topics. But before we get into the podcast, um, we wanted to share some news with our listeners who really want to take their training to the next level and just get, get some more information. So Millie, I'll let you take over. Yeah, so we are launching MIK9 Extended on March 1st. So it's our new membership page. Uh, we'll have exclusive Think Like a Dog episodes on there. We'll have um, a lot of video consult recordings. So you can watch through, see one-on-one -on -one video consults, advice given to specific, specific people about their specific issues with their dogs. Uh, and all extended pack members are going to get discounts on everything online, all of our online merch, slip leads, all of that. Um, they'll get discounted one-on-one -on -one video consults and they'll also get discounts on our in-person shadow program as well. Uh, also, we're going to have four Q&A like, group Zoom sessions a month where you come on, you ask me any questions that you want, please obviously bring questions. Um, and that way you sort of get like a not only a one-on-one -on -one session there, but you sort of get other people's questions. Those will also all be up there on the on the membership page each month as well. And you'll also get access to all of our um, ebook training guides as well. So if you are not local to us, if you um, have been listening to us for the past year, what we've been doing this for a year, right? Yeah. Um, and you want just some more advice and some more support. That's awesome. That is going to be exciting because we get so many questions and people who really want to learn more. They may be in a different state or even in a different country. And uh, this is a great way for even trainers to extend their knowledge for listeners and, and just people with who wants to take their training to the next level. Uh, so the exclusive episodes are going to be fun um, because those are going to be recorded. Some of them are going to be recorded ex exclusively for the membership page. Mm -hmm. um, some of them will also be one of our other specific episodes that we may be pulling. And then you only be able to listen to them on the membership page as well. So if you want to keep up with all of the episodes that we've had, um, all of the information we shared and then go really in more in depth with the other trainers as well than the membership pages for you. And you can go to mirrorimagek9.com and there you'll be able to access the membership page. It, this is going to launch on March 1st. So yep. mark your calendars. Um, we're also going to be able to remind you through social media. So make sure that you're following uh, the Mirror Image K9 Instagram and the Think Like a Dog podcast on Instagram. But yeah, that's going to be awesome. I'm super excited about that. That's yeah. going to be fun. We're very excited just to be able to offer the community that we have here with, you know, we talk about all the time of offering a space where it's okay to not be perfect, right? not be where you want to be with your dog. And we are able to do that with a lot of our local clients. But now with MIK and Extended, we're able to offer that community to people who aren't local to us, which is huge for us. So we'll go right into the questions and we're going to start off with this first question. Um, also, says, hold on. These are not our longest questions by any means. These so, are not our longest questions? No, they are some <laughs> oh, of our God. longer ones. Now, 
I, I want to preface this. I love getting as much information as possible. But if you are going, if you're wanting to have your question answered on the podcast, try as much as you can to keep it concise, just because it's we're more likely to read it on the podcast as well. Give us the information that's necessary for us to answer and, and give advice to you. But um, the longer the question is, the harder it is for us to add into the podcast. Yes, yes, absolutely. And that's why um, some of the shorter ones we get to faster uh, than the longer ones. So we'll go into the first question. It's from Daria from Juno Beach, Florida. It says, I have a five-year-old male Aussie that has been with me since I was 10, since has been with me since 10 weeks old. I've had behavior issues with him continually. Around three years of age, he bit my face and I had to get stitches. At that um, time, I realized he needed real boundaries and training. I did so much research and really changed my behavior with him. And he was doing good for a while. Within the last six months, however, I've been dating someone new and he started showing signs of separation anxiety. I believe it has something to do with a dynamic shift going from just him and I to me and my boyfriend and him. If he is left completely alone in my apartment or my boyfriend's apartment, he freaks. One day, um, Recently, we left him in my boyfriend's apartment crated, which he's been con conditioned to properly, and he broke out of it. He hurt himself doing so. Uh, basically, he um, ground down his tiny bottom teeth. Mm -mm. Mm. Again, I realized I've been doing some things wrong. From the recent research I've done, I found that um, he thinks he's responsible for me. I've started creating distance between him and I, owning my space, and he stopped jumping in my bed and jumping on me and my boyfriend. He's also eating his meals now as I put them down. I am enforcing his place as well. These are steps in the right direction, but we are with my boyfriend, and I feel like he doesn't listen to me as well. He is still concerned with me. He's still very concerned with me. We take him on runs together, and if I'm out of his sight, he will have, he will have to wait for me. He also seems to not really respect my boyfriend. He's never owned a dog before and doesn't really know how to treat him aside from what I've taught him. My main concern and question for you both is how do we work this dynamic shift so that my dog is respectful to both my boyfriend and I when we are all together? I will soon be moving into his apartment and we will all be together every day. He needs to be trained up to be comfortable being alone in the apartment while we are at work. I am desperate at this point. I really need to solve this dynamic issue before April. Thank you guys so much in advance. So I I think that this is less about the dynamic shift and more about, I mean, I'm, I have a, I, once again, I have a lot more questions about how, how he is with her when he, when the boyfriend isn't around. Cause yes, it looks like separation anxiety, but it also looks like, I mean, I know you said, there's a lot more boundaries that you introduced after he tried to bite or he did bite at three years old. Um, but I mean, to me, this is, we're not crate trained properly. We're not, I mean, and I know we, we were conditioned to the crate properly, but we're clearly not finished if he tried to, you know, eat his way out or hurt himself to get out. Um, not only are we not finished with crate training, that, that to me is probably a little bit more of an issue between you and him, not necessarily your boyfriend and him. It could be a little bit of claiming, right? So now that there's some competition here for attention, there could be a little bit of um, 
going back to thinking of you as a resource from from your dog's point of view um and then that's going to exasperate uh that's going to amplify a lot of these issues so maybe issues that aren't that big of a deal when you guys are at home alone are coming out when now there's another person competing with the dog for your attention and it's going to come off as um disrespect to you disrespect to the boyfriend when really i wonder if these are issues that are still happening when your boyfriend isn't there um and they're just really showing when he is like i'd have a lot of questions about rules and boundaries when nobody's around yeah and with with usually with like um cases that have separation anxiety these dogs that shows these traits it's you you know one of your consults i think was the one of the last ones that you did um but all of them really you touch into the same subject it's like you have to start all the way over with your dog Mm -hmm. like you have to start from step number one right and making sure that they understand what you want from them but that being that he broke out of the crate one mm-hmm. time when he was left alone, that's, you know, that's something that I can, I can even give my take on that. Um, cause we've, we taken dogs all the time with anxiety and that crate, uh, is a big component into their training. And you want to make sure you put your dog in the crate. And when you come back, they're still there right? Unharmed. Ideally. Yes. Ideally. And they're, they can bark. I mean, they can show signs of separation anxiety. That's not going to get fixed depending on the crate a hundred percent, but at least you have the peace of mind when you put them in the right crate that they're going to stay there. So we turn a lot of times to impact dog crates for dogs that have separation anxiety, especially dogs that have separation Mm -hmm. anxiety, because I feel like it's the only option for them. It's the one that you can put them in the crate, you can shut the door and you can leave and they'll be the same, the same way that you left them. You know, they're going to be right there. They're not going to hurt themselves inside the crate is, you know, there's nothing that can hurt them. They can rub their face on, they can chew, they can bend. Um, the crate is extremely high quality. So, uh, there are various different kinds of crate and depending on the size and strength of your dog, you can look at a stationary crate, which is one of their cheaper options. You can go into the collapsible crate if you travel a lot, if you need to break down the crate, or you can do a high anxiety crate. And that one is the strongest, toughest crate they have. Um, But I talk about it all the time. We couldn't rescue without the impact dog crates because they keep our dogs safe. I can put my dogs in a room with other dogs, even if it's a dog reactive dog, and I know they're not going to break out of that crate. I have peace of mind. So for anyone struggling with crate training, if you worry about your dog hurting themselves, if you worry about them breaking out, just look into impact dog crates. I can't recommend it enough. Um, and they always offer, uh, installment plans. They offer discounts. If you sign up for their newsletters, they always have these awesome deals going on depending on the, the occasion. Um, but please, I mean, look into impact dog crates, start there with a really high quality crate, because then you can scratch that off your list. They won't be breaking out of that crate. Yeah. And that's a lot of times when I have a client who has a dog who has previously hurt themselves in the crate, 
I don't have anywhere else to go except for, hey, we need to get a crate where they can't hurt themselves in. And that's where Impact Dog Crates comes in. It's not, to me, it's not an option to not crate train your dog. That's a necessary foundation for um, a, a good relationship, for safety for your dog. But if you have a dog who is um, capable of hurting themselves in a regular crate, yeah, we, I mean, we've got to, we, we've got to work on this in some way. And sometimes the only option is impact dog crates because they can't hurt themselves. So you're able to only have to worry about um, the feelings, right? So the dog's feelings and the dog's training, the dog's mindset, not necessarily the dog's physical well-being. That's the best part about impact crates is, and a lot of times too, the dogs will, at least in my experience, because we have both wire crates and impact dog crates and stand-up kennels, we've got all, all the different options here at the center. We notice dogs will chill out so much quicker in the impact crates than any other crate. So regardless of if we have a cover on the other crate, regardless of um, if they're conditioned to the crate or not, it's it's almost like this nice little den for them. So we, I mean, we see a lot of uh, benefits for the impact crates, not just from um, a physical standpoint, from, from a mental standpoint as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, with, uh, with her, with uh, Daria from, with, with her Aussie, my thing would be, we've got to, we got to figure out, okay, when is he in his crate? What times is he in his crate? Is he only in the crate when you're gone or only in the crate when your boyfriend's there? Is it um, something that he sleeps every single night in the crate? Does he take naps in the crate? Um, does he choose to go in the crate on his own? That's always a good sign for a dog um, to be kind of conditioned to the crate that even when it's open, they want to go in there. That's a great, I look for that as a, um, a sign of, okay, I'm conditioned or my dog thinks of the crate as a safe space now. Um, other things is like, okay, well, what kind of boundaries does he have? I know um, you said that he's got, uh, I think there was, I'm looking at the notes right now. I'm not just like looking over here for no reason. Um, I think she said something about taking up the food now. Now he eats his meals when it's down. Um, so now we've got some structure around the food. Sounds like he's got a lot of exercise going in, which is great. But I, I, like I said, for this one, I don't know that it's so much about a dynamic shift between you and your boyfriend. I wonder if the boyfriend showing up almost um, kind of brought a lot of issues that were already there into light, right? So um, I don't know that the boyfriend has created these issues. I wonder if uh, all these issues were already there. There was just not a reason for the dog to show them. So my advice for this would be, let's make sure that the crate is something that it's not just happening when your boyfriend's over. It's not just happening during times where you you have to leave or um, during times where we can't handle the dog. A lot of people will do that. We'll, they'll only use the crate when they have like the bug guy coming over to spray the house, but not any other time. Make the crate like the most normal thing in the world. Um, I would definitely, I mean, I would definitely take away furniture privileges completely if you haven't yet. Um, and I mean, she already said it in here, create a lot of space, ask for a lot of space from your dog, um, whether or not your boyfriend is around. So if it's just you and, and your dog at home alone, that that's not a reason or that's not, honestly, to me, that's the, probably the worst time to pull him up on the furniture and, you know, um, cuddle together for a little while, because then our dog's going to go, okay, well, when this guy's not around, there's no boundaries. Now, the second that this guy comes around, all these boundaries gets enforced and it's probably his fault, right? Or it's probably, I need to compete with him. And that's where we want to make it where it's just normal every day, whether or not 
regardless of who's around us. Now, when it comes to your boyfriend, absolutely, he needs to be on in best case scenario, um, supporting you in your decisions with your dog. Um, but at least not, not going against you in these decisions. And that's just, I mean, he doesn't, it sounds like he has never owned a dog before, so he just needs to learn and you guys need to come up with a plan that works best for you both. Yeah. And a lot of times I think, um, even when we talk to our fosters or our adopters too, and we talk about the crate, you know, them being in the crate, it, a lot of people don't realize when you're, when you have, especially when you have these really anxious dogs, the crate being added as an everyday routine, like it's part of your schedule. Like I always tell them, if you were to write down like a schedule for you and your dog, like wake up, eat, you know, eat their food, ideally inside the crate and then go outside back in the crate for 30 minutes. Now this is this time. Now that's that time it helps you realize that how many times a day are you actually putting your dog inside the crate? Mm -hmm. Because if you are just putting them in there at this times that they're like, you're leaving or they get really anxious, then all of a sudden they start thinking, Oh, that, you know, as soon as I get in the crate, this means she's leaving. And then mm -hmm. they start associating it with that. Um, so I, I can't emphasize that enough. Like try to add the crate, into your schedule. And even if it helps for you to write down a schedule or even add reminders to yourself, like yeah. just add little timers to go off. And this is when they go in the crate. And, and even, uh, with our adopters too, I always say like, if the dog's laying down or if you notice they're not doing anything, just put them in a crate. You know, if, yeah. if you're not going to be actively working with them or paying attention to them, like back in the crate. What I feel like too, that I should emphasize what Millie said is, you know, careful with like the associations that you make for your dog. And just like, you know, when you have someone over now, all of a sudden, all these things are changing for them. And then this is how you emphasize their reactivity, right? Because yeah. then now they're associating like whenever we have people over, this is when I get this happened to me and I get put away or, you know, all of a sudden I'm doing something I didn't want to do. And then they're yeah. going to start associating it with that. And dogs are so smart. I mean, they really associate one thing with another. So we have to be careful with the association that right. we create. Well, and them. it's like with the, with the crate. So it's the same thing with muzzle training, right? You don't want to yeah. put the muzzle on the dog just you know, right before vet visits twice a year, you know, mm -hmm. of course, yeah. if your dog doesn't like the vet and the muzzle comes on right before vet visits two times a year and no other time, yeah, the muzzle is going to start to represent stress to your dog. Now with this, the thing with the crate is not only do we need to make sure that we're not creating a negative association, if we're using it where, okay, only when the, you know, like you said, only when the, um, we have guests over or only when you're about to leave, then the crate is now only being used as a boundary and not as a place that's, that's for the dog. Right. Um, so if we use it on a day-to-day -day basis and Hey, you know what, go and turn your brain off and I'm going to feed you your dinner and you can just relax in your crate after, or a big reason or a big way that I love to use the crate is I just did some sort of training session with my dog or um, we just worked through something with them. And now I'm going to put you in your crate after to process that information. So every time I bring my dog home from day camp, he goes directly in his crate. He eats his dinner. Uh, he falls asleep and he stays in his crate. I mean, he's been worked in day camp for what, eight, 10 hours. He stays in his crate pretty much the rest of the night short of potty breaks because what, what, what else is he going to do? He's tired. Right. So I, I think if we teach it as somewhere that's for them 
and not just as a boundary that is supposed to keep our dogs calm or or preventing them from doing something we don't want them to do, then absolutely we'll have a dog who starts to choose the crate more because we're teaching it as a place where they get to clock out. And who doesn't like to clock out? I mean, absolutely. Yeah. And, and it's what, when dogs realize that that's their bedroom, their safe space, like nobody touches me when I'm here, nobody messes with me. This is yeah. my, my den, my safe space. They start to go in there by themselves. And it's so cool to see like Rusty. Um, I always brag about Rusty cause he's doing so good, but Rusty, Seriously. whenever I, I, our foster dog, um, whenever I have him, um, that's his, cause we crate rotate throughout the day and it's like his turn to, you know, be a little bit like loose in the yard. I always find him when he's sleeping back inside of his crate, like he will go take himself to the crate and he'll lay in there. And this is a dog that had really bad separation anxiety from being in the, the shelter. Yeah. Um, he associated the crate with, you know, a place that he was locked up and couldn't come out of, um, didn't get walks, any of that. So he overcame that and now he associates the crate as that's his p place to relax. Like nobody messes with him right there. Yeah. Now going, one, you know, once again, going back to this, our dog doesn't, if this dog doesn't understand how to turn his, his brain off in the crate so much so that he's trying to break out of it. My bet is he doesn't know how to clock out out of the crate either. So all of these other behaviors about how um, he struggles when uh, her boyfriend is holding the leash and she walks away if she's out of sight, um, he kind of freaks out. Like, yeah, that makes sense to me because he doesn't know how to clock out given the most clear boundary, which is the crate, right? So if, and that's where we start, right? If we can't teach him, hey, when you're in here, you need to turn your brain off and you're not responsible for me. You don't need to worry about if I'm in the bathroom, if I've left the house, if I'm in the basement, what's going on around you. If we're not capable of that, yeah, when we bring him out into the world and we hand his leash to someone who has is around a lot and now kind of new, but you know, and then you walk away, absolutely that behavior is going to come up there. So uh, my biggest advice would be teach ways to ask for respect through distance and ask for a, a calm mind through coping mechanisms like place and crate um, and and just asking your dog to be able to say, okay, you need to clock out. You don't need to worry about where I am at this moment. But the way that we do that is through boundaries. So increase, but that's always my answer for separation anxiety is you have to increase boundaries when you're home because this is not something you can practice when you're gone. That's, I mean, that's the hardest part about separation anxiety is you, you can't do anything when you're gone. You can't mm -hmm. interrupt the behavior. So you have to practice that when you're home. Yes, absolutely. I mean, it's the separation anxiety is a lot, but I mean, it's like a, you have to change your whole lifestyle with your dog to be able to see progress mm -hmm. in that. Um, so we'll mm -hmm. go into the next question from Natalie, Philadelphia, Natalie from Philadelphia. That's not her last oh, name. <laughs> it could be, you don't know. We don't ask for last names. <laughs> um, so it says, I just started listening to your podcast and it has been so informative. Thank you for sharing your import, such important information. Honestly, I feel overwhelmed by it all. My dog is 10 and reactive with other dogs and people. He's good in his crate, doesn't have issues with it as he is in it, but uh, when I'm at work and goes in it on his own when I am home. But I wouldn't say he's 100% crate trained. He listens well generally and is such a sweet boy, but really struggles with reactivity. From what I've heard on your podcast, I am understanding that I need to utilize the crate more in order to create less anxiety-inducing environment. 
but he sleeps in bed with me and is honestly pretty spoiled. I still want to be able to spend lots of time with him and spoil him. Maybe that sounds bad, but I want to create an environment where he feels comfortable enough to be, to not be reactive. Please help. And thank you. I mean, this one's pretty simple. Spoiling your dog is creating an environment where they are comfortable enough to not react. The spoiling is for us. That's the problem, right? So all of the time that, you know, he's on the bed with you or all of the boundaries that you know in your brain, right, that you should be giving, but you don't want to because you like the affection from your dog. That's not for him. You're not spoiling him. You're spoiling yourself in those moments, which is fine. Um, you know, that's not a, that, that's not a bad thing. That's what, that's why people love dogs is because we get to do those kind of things, but we do have to recognize when it is for us and when it is for them. And on a lot of these moments, if we know in our heart, we're not giving enough boundaries to be believable to our dog as somewhere or someone that they can trust to make decisions for them, then we have to understand that the lack of boundaries is, isn't, that's not spoiling them. That's not for them. We're, we're doing them a disservice in that moment. We're doing that for us. Now, there is a way to find a common, like a, a nice little balance between the two. I'm not saying you don't do anything. Like, I'm not saying you you create a relationship where you get nothing out of, out of this with your dog. Um, I'm saying, one, we need to shift our perspective to what it looks like to get something out of the relationship. What, what is it that we really want from this relationship? Is it really just um, that attachment or would, would a bond feel better? Would, mm -hmm. would creating an environment where our dog does feel comfortable enough to not react, would that feel better than spoiling him to us, right? Not just to him, but to us. And most of the time, at least in my experience, it does. It's a lot, it's a, it's such a cooler relationship if you've got that with your dog. Yes. Does it come with boundaries? Absolutely. Does it come with a lot of structure? Does it come with um, not a lot of spoiling? Absolutely. You know, you don't get all of the um, cuddle time on the couch that you want, but you get a dog that you can bring out into the world that trusts you to keep it safe. And to me, that's way better, way better. Yeah. And you always say too, um, you have to pick your heart, right? You mm -hmm. have to pick your heart. And if you have a dog that has all the, this anxiety and, and reactivity with humans, with other dogs, you, this is where you, you really start to think about what means, what, like, what do you want? Like Millie said, out of the relationship and you have to pick, pick your heart at that moment. Um, and if that means you have to give more structure and really choose the times that you are with spending with your dog as like, this is the time we're going to cuddle. This is the time where he's going to be back in the crate while I'm at home. Um, he can't handle sleeping in bed with me. You know, this is, this is going to help with him. So th this is what we're going to do. I think Millie always talks about this too. You have, you can't really do it halfway too, especially with dogs like this. Like you have to go in it all the way and really commit yourself to the idea of it, but you have to change your mindset. Mm -hmm. Like, why are you doing this? You're not taking away something that he loves, you're actually giving him more confidence, right? You're doing yep. this for him, for him to be able to change his perspective, to become more confident, to get over this anxiety. Um, so you're not really, it's not a disservice to him if you take away the couch privileges right. or the furniture. If, if he's having all that and he's getting all these reactions out of it, 
it's like him having all this freedom is not really helping him. Right. It's like not a privilege. It's, it's a responsibility. Not, yeah. yeah. He's, I mean, he's looking at it as a responsibility while mm-hmm. you might think he really want, like this is spoiling him. Um, yeah. and I think with yeah. our reactive dogs, it's hard because you want to give them, like you feel as a, as humans who love their dogs, like we, we tend to put our humans in like our human feelings into them. Right. Like we try mm-hmm. to see their feelings and, and, and try to feel for them. Um, when in reality, they're, they're seeing the world completely differently than we are. Uh, they don't understand things the way we do. So why I really love the way Millie does her training and mirror image canine is because it really makes you look into yourself first before you think about your dog's behaviors, because it's, it's like you that needs to change. It's your mindset, it's your behaviors. And when I tell people this, like when they're telling me about their dog's behaviors and what can they do and what tips do Mm -hmm. I have? And I, I don't have to, like, I was like, you really have to talk to a trainer um, so they can go more in depth with you because it's so much more than what we think it is. Like there's no recipe to fix a behavior. There is no specific thing that I, that right. we can tell you on this podcast that you're going to do. And it's going to just be like automatic and it's going to be like a step-by-step right. thing and, you know, do this, but, and that everything's going to be fixed. Like we can't tell you anything specifically like this. that's going to fix all your problems with your dog right. because it's about the relationship you have with them. And yeah. this is why relationship-based training, psychology-based training, it's so much more than just, this is what you need to do. Um, so I love when you guys talk about like the mindset that needs to change when you're working with your dog, because then that changes yeah. everything, right? When yeah. you go into that. Yeah. I mean, and it's, it's not a lot of times, most of the time I would say it's not forever that you need to give all of this like extreme amount of structure. So I think when people hear me talk so much about taking away furniture privileges or talk so much about um, this extreme crate routine, right? It's not that I'm expecting you to do this or that I even advise you to do this with your dog for the rest of their lives. I'm saying, okay, if you're bringing me this problem, so, you know, you're bringing me this, uh, this problem of my dog is having some pretty severe reactivity. And we don't know really much more about that with this, this particular question, but you know, he's having some pretty severe reactivity. You're bringing me that problem. I'm going to say, okay, well, yeah, let's start fresh. We haven't clarified the relationship. So let's say, um, we start fresh. We, we do, we get, um, we get a extreme crate routine. We get, uh, we clarify the relationship through teaching coping mechanisms of, Hey, you go to place to turn off your brain. You go to the crate to turn your brain off. Um, we clarify the relationship by giving boundaries and we get them off of furniture. We, um, add structure into our leash walks. We do all of these things that we talk about in almost every single question that we get. Let's say we do that and we see progress. We see a dog and a lot of times we do, right? I wouldn't be preaching it so much if we didn't. Um, So when I do have a dog who's made progress, it's been a year, it's been two years. And now this dog, um, there's wiggle room in the relationship for, um, for the human to 
to take some, right? For the human to go, okay, you know what? I know that even if, I, I think I talked about this in a previous episode of looking at it from like a, a scale, right? So I know I've spent two years telling you that um, I am in charge of uh, deciding what is a threat and how we deal with those threats. So you get to turn your brain off on walks. So now that's two years under our belt of that. I can handle, or you can handle one night of sleeping in bed with me. And that's not going to muddy the waters here too much that it's going to create this reactivity to And we're going to go back to step one. That's fine, right? It's not forever. Some dogs, based on how long you've practiced this, based on how much you do switch your perspective, if you do like 50%, it's going to take longer. But if you do go all in and you you 100% change everything about your relationship with your dog, you don't give yourself wiggle room for a little while and you create that clarity, then yeah, eventually you are going to be able to go back to where you you started without the behavior that you started with, right? So it's not a forever thing. But right now you're telling me that this dog doesn't have clarity on who gets to make the decisions on what to do with threats, potential threats, and what who decides what threats are. That's where we have to go back. We have to give the structure. So I, I know we talk a lot about boundaries. We talk a lot about giving structure, but because we always are talking with people who are dealing with the the problem outright, you know, at the very first, right? We're you're we're not ever able to really talk about what that looks like two years from now. You know, I think we should have an episode on, you know two years in, or one of my dogs is three years old. One of my dogs is one year old who, you know, where, what, what do the boundaries look like? What do the boundaries look like for a dog that I just adopted versus a dog that I've owned and trusted and, you know, done everything right with from three years old, right? So it doesn't have to be forever. And that is the most important thing. But the, it, it, the requirement is, is that you know where you are and you're honest with where you're at with your dog. So don't be like, okay, well, our our reactions aren't as intense, um, but we're still reacting just as frequently. So now because we're not as intense, great, I get to have my dog back in the bed. Chances are, if you've only done 10% of the work and you go right back to the very beginning of your relationship, you're going to get rid of any of any progress that you've made. So it just, it does require you to be really honest with yourself and, and critical of the relationship that you have with your dog in a healthy way, ideally. Absolutely. And as, as people who love, you know, love their dogs, like we know our problems. Like we really, like how many times have you spoken to your clients and they talk about it initially? Like they kind of know what they need to do, mm -hmm. but they need to hear mm -hmm. it from you or they need to, mm -hmm. they're hoping there's another way because they really don't want to accept it. <laughs> yes. I am right there with you. I mean, there is, it's hard. Like you, you know, like I can't describe it in any other way, like pick your heart, right? Like you're mm -hmm. just going to have to pick and choose how much you're going to go into it, what results you want out of it. It's like anything mm -hmm. else in our lives. Um, yep. If you want to be good at something, if you, you either go in at 10%, you're, in a, you're only going to be 10% better if that, but if you go yep. in it hundred percent, then you're going to start to see progress with consistency and time and patience. Um, yep. So it's so much, I mean, that's, I mean, I just, I, I, a lot of times people think behaviors can be trained or untrained, like they can just be fixed or dogs can be taught or, you know, made to, to, to be a certain way. Um, we even have people who, who think when we say like dogs are, would it do well in a home with 
cats, for example, well, you could just train them to like cats. Like we could just train them. I mean, like, yeah, they can be trained to be calm around a cat and not go for that cat every time. But are they really going to love the cat? You know, like we can't yeah. change who that dog is uh, and just, you know, they're not a robot. Or we, can't. we don't get to like, even if, you know, even if I do work with a dog who has um, issues with cats, if I work with that dog and then I rehome that dog to another house with cats, if you're not keeping up with the same training, that dog isn't going I mean, we're going to default right back to the the very first thing, because it, what matters is, is that the information that they're getting is creating a different response. It's we're changing the motivation behind a behavior. That's everything that we talk about. It's it's not just changing the behavior. We're changing the the reason why the dog even does the behavior. So we're or we're getting rid of that reason. So with a dog who has reactivity to other dogs or to humans or whatever, and that dog is doing that because maybe most of the time it's an insecure dog who feels responsible for the human and feels like it has to make all the decisions. That's a dog who um, feels that way because most of the time it's a human who's not making these decisions for the dog or making enough decisions for the dog on a day-to-day -day basis. Let's say you do, you change all, everything with that for what, like I said, two years, you make all of these decisions for your dog. Now we've, we've eliminated the reactivity because we've eliminated the reason the reactivity even happens. That's the important part. It's not just, we're not just throwing treats at the dog and saying, okay, you know what, here, do this instead of reacting. We're saying, you know what, dude, you don't have to react because I've got your back. And so it, once we change the reason why it happens, that's what's, that's the whole point. That's why we're, that's why we see a different and a different dog at the very end of it is because we've created a different relationship with them. Absolutely. And the last episode um, that Millie did with her client consultation, dog reactivity while on walks, uh, that was a good one um, to, to refer back to. If you guys have a reactive dog, it, it's really nice. I really like the client consultation that we post as episodes because it's just so honest and so raw. Like there's everything's laid out and people really refer to that. So I, I yeah, really we've gotten a lot of good feed. We've gotten a lot of good feedback from what the two or three consults that we've I posted. I think it's been two so far. Okay. So yeah. far it's been two, but it's been really good. I mean, they've been completely different. Um, it, you, a lot of people can refer back like when really, you know, connect with that. Like I can And we have a lot more coming. We yes. have a lot more coming. So if you want to, um, if you want to sign up for a video consult to come on the podcast and do it, you just go to mirror images website and then you'll be able to sign up literally for, it says video consult, think like a dog, uh, episode. Um, and then if you want to just do it privately, you don't have, we don't have to air this, right? So if you've got like personal issues or things like that, that you don't want to, be on the podcast, fine. You can still get help. I won't tell anyone. Um, it doesn't, we don't have to air everything on the podcast, but yeah. yes, um, we have a lot more of those episodes coming out too. Yes. Oh, yes. Th those are awesome. I love them. Um, I listen back to them and I'm like, I, I can connect with each one of them, no matter the issue, you know, so I really love it. So we'll go into this next one from Christy from Alabama. She said, I have a pit mix that showed up on our farm, of course, took her in, has been bedded, et cetera. Good for you, Christy. <laughs> um, so far, she has been great with my other dog and cat, but she seems to be getting really comfortable here and protective of the house. She has growled at someone who came over, 
Um, what should I do? I've read not to scold her because it will keep her from giving a warning. She has clearly been abused at some point by some of her behaviors. I just want to do what is right because she's precious and we all love her. That's really sweet. Um, okay. couple things to address in this one for me. Um, yes, I really like that you go, that you, you are aware enough to not, um, not punish a dog for growling because that's just a dog raising its voice, not before it hits you. Right. Like you, you don't want to, to tell a dog, Hey, you can't do that because then we're going to have a dog who doesn't give you that warning. Right. Or the warnings are going to be a lot more subtle than the growl. Now, does that mean I just let it ride? No, I just, once again, going back to what we were just talking about, I have to give a reason why that growl was inappropriate, why, why that growl wasn't necessary given the situation. And most of the time that reason would be, Hey, this has nothing to do with you. I've got your back. You go over here and clock out. So most of the time that a, a dog is having any amount of reactivity whatsoever, it's because a dog doesn't have the option to walk away or the dog thinks it doesn't have the option to, to clock out, opt out, whatever it is. That's why we're so big on creating these spaces where our dog gets to go and not have to deal with the problem. So, you know, you've got people over, I wouldn't even call this protective of the house. It sounds like she's just really unsure. Um, she's new to you guys. She doesn't, you know, it, this is all new to her. So I would say in this situation, she growls, I mean, let's say we don't do anything actively to pre to prevent this. Let's say it's somebody we don't know is coming over. She growls at the person. All I would do is call her back and then put her on place. Now that does require her to be really, really good at recall. That requires her to have a nice foundation of place work. So that's another thing that I look at when it comes to any sort of behavior that I get is what skills are needed in order to help this behavior Um feel or to, to create a different motivation around this behavior, right? So in this moment, she feels like she has to deal with the person at the front door. She has to back them off, whatever it is. She's unsure about it, whatever. All we're, all we're going to do is say, you know, we're going to tell her, Hey, come over here, go to place. And then that's, that should be it. That should be enough because we've taught places a place where she can go and turn her brain off. She no longer has to deal with the person at the door. And we've taught recall as a command that she can never blow off, has never had the opportunity to blow off, um, and is always a command that um, that's supportive of her. She's not getting in trouble when we call her back. It's, hey, come back to me. Don't do that, but do this instead. And here's why, because we've taught place correctly, all of those things. I love that. I love that. It's like, here's something else, you know, here's another option. Like we're not trying or here's to... a reason why not. Here's yes. why you don't have to, right? Not just like the throwing the treats in the face of like, Hey, look over here, look over here, trying to like distract them. It's, this is why you don't have to do that because you have this option. And, and we have always told you that when you are in this space, nobody's going to mess with you. That's like, it's not, do this instead. It's, this is why you don't have to do this. I love that. It's, it's, I mean, that makes so much sense to me because it's even from, um, it's even like in, in coming from a place where you're constantly showing your dog how to trust you and you're teaching them why that isn't, you know, a good a reaction and they'll eventually choose not to do it. You're not like, 
punishing them for their reactions. You're just over time teaching them a better way to deal with it. And I love that, you know, and, um, with, especially with a rescue dog, they, uh, you're right. Like they have so many different traumas and they've been through so much and who knows, like a lot of times we don't know their background. Um, so I love the fact that Christy's coming at a place where she really cares and she's being careful with her, how she handles this, you know, Mm -hmm. because, a lot of people think treats can fix everything and it's just redirecting and it's trying to, you know, distract your dog the entire time. If somebody comes over, it's like throw treats in their face, try mm-hmm. to get them busy with something. It's mm-hmm. the more productive way is just creating that relationship with your dog and then teaching them why they shouldn't do that. And there's a better way to deal with it. Yeah. Um, I yeah. mean, the only other thing is like with this one, I know, when you get a rescue, we've talked about this a million times on this podcast is when you get a rescue, you have to remember, yes, you do. On one hand, you do have a dog who has a history that you know nothing about. On the other hand, you have to remember that that history is no longer in the present, right? You, the, that history, that chapter of that dog's life is over. So I can't tell you how many times I've had a dog um, or I've had a client come in and say, well, my dog's probably been abused because um, maybe it um, is a little head shy or it, you know, gets scared at loud noises or um, when a man walks in or does this thing with this object or whatever, um, then that must mean that there's been some sort of PTSD with this dog. And um, that must mean that the dog has been beaten with this object by a tall man in a brown shirt or whatever, Right. Uh, I'm not ever going to tell people, no, no way, because who knows, who knows, maybe, but at the same time, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Your dog is rescued now. Not, you're not, your dog is not no longer a rescue. They are rescued, right? So we need to keep the past in the past. And I don't want to ever base anything that I'm doing off of a past that I don't really know anything about. I've, I've worked a lot of dogs um, that I've worked with them since they were eight weeks old. I, I've known their owners. I know that they were never beaten. I know that they were never abused. And these dogs still will kind of um, lower their heads whenever somebody raises their hand or moves very quickly or whatever. A lot of these signs that we we say are um, signs that a dog has been abused are just a, an insecure dog being very aware of movements around them. Um, so I don't ever want to make up a story based on a dog's past, which then leads me to give more, more wiggle room and less direction and less support to this dog in the future. Yeah, I'm guilty of that. I am. I feel like everyone that rescues, we all make up our stories in our head. Like Kane, yeah. Kane um, used to be so scared of plastic bags. Like he used to freak out. Then we created a, a a story in our minds about the plastic bags. Like must yeah. something must have happened. Like he, sh- you know, like you said, who knows? But the beautiful thing about dogs is that they live in the present, right? They hundred yep. percent live in the present, and I think um, it's so. That's where dogs really make you a better human, is because if you constantly remind yourself of all these things, like you know, don't don't live in the past, um, don't you know. Don't uh, go back into the traumas that you've had, live in the present, 
and go from there. It's, it's one of the best advices we can give in so many different aspects of our lives, but that's a hundred percent true, um, with dogs, especially in rescue is like, we, we always come up with the stories and we try to excuse the behaviors and it's just not helping them in the long run. Yeah. And it, at the end of the day where it's, it's the beginning of not seeing it from the dog's point of view. We're trying so hard (laughs) to see it from the dog's point of view that we completely miss it. Right. So we go, okay, the dog's afraid of plastic bags. So that must mean that somebody did something awful to him with a plastic bag. Um, You know, we need to do this, this, and this to make sure that that, you know, he never has to go back there in in his brain again. When really, I mean, a plastic bag can be a little confusing to a dog. There's a lot of, um, I mean, that's one of the things that they, they prove horses with because horses get spooked by, by plastic bags and tarps and things like that, because it's a big object that makes a really loud sound when you, you know, when you kind of flick it to open the garbage, you know, garbage bag. Um, it's a normal thing when, when you're thinking of it, okay, I've got a, I'm a dog. I, I don't know how to live in the human world. What is that? Right. And a lot of times, what dogs are reacting to like the plastic bag or um, I had one client who said um, the dog would react to a belt or uh, most of the time a dog will react to a tall man in sunglasses and a hat carrying a ladder, right? That's not necessarily an issue of a dog who's had a bad experience with those things. It's an issue of a dog using its eyes and ears over its nose. So rather than um, really truly getting that information and going up to that item or staying away from that item and smelling using its nose to be like, what is that thing? Immediately we we react by eyes and ears and, and dogs, they don't get the right information by just using eyes and ears. Most of the time we teach dogs inadvertently to use eyes and ears because when we first get home, we give a lot of affection. We do a lot of talking. We, there's a lot of things that we do because as humans, we use eyes and ears, not nose, Right. But we teach our dogs to rely on different senses. And then when they do, we say, oh, my God, they must have been they must have been abused. No, they don't know what that item is because we've been teaching them to use the wrong senses to identify what that item is or to identify what we need to do about that item. Right. So it's not always I mean, everybody has the best intentions when they do this, but most of the time we hold on to something that it doesn't benefit the dog. It does a disservice to the dog to hold on to that. They are rescued now. Let's act like it. I love that. That needs to be on a t-shirt. <laughs> All right. Make it. <laughs> We're going to do that coming soon. Coming soon. Quotes by Millie. We're going to start quoting this. <laughs> New collection. Rescued, not rescue. <laughs> Um, okay. So the next one is from Sherry. Uh, let's see. How do I establish recall? How to start with the basics of introduction through what to practice? Thank you. Love your podcast so much. I love the way you deliver the information in a way I need it in order to understand it clearly and very well explained. Thank you. That's very nice. Thank you. Um, yeah. Thanks Sherry. (laughs) Um, I think the best hope, way here is yeah. to refer her back to that recall episode that we did. For sure. Um, that was such a good one that we like really went in depth about recall. Uh, cause I forget which one it is, but we've labeled it as recall. Um, and you can go back you to it and listen it. to it. I didn't label <laughs> anything. You labeled it. But that was a really good um, recall episode. So I, yeah. I definitely recommend uh, everyone to go back and, and listen in on that. 
the very quick answer to that is don't ever say it when you can't enforce it. Cause then, then we're teaching our dog that they can blow us off. Everything else outside of that, absolutely go back and listen to the all about recall episode or the importance. For some reason it's coming into my brain that we named it as the importance of recall. I could be wrong. Um, it could be. I'm that sounds about wrong. right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yes, all of the details for that is, um, or is in the episode, but yes, the biggest thing with that, don't ever say it. If you can't enforce it, I'd rather you be silent than say it. And your dog learns that they can blow you off. That was my biggest lesson. And I talked about that on the puppies episode with Jill. Oh yeah. She, we were talking about, um, talking like with puppies too, you have to be careful with what you say repeatedly or else it won't mean anything. Mm -hmm. And with my dogs, I mean, it, I used to be the one that repeats all the time, you know, calling them back. They won't come. And I, I can't like, I can't tell you enough. Like once you repeat these things and you let your dog <laughs> blow you off, it will mean nothing to them. Yeah. Like they will oh, not yeah. care about that word anymore. It will not mean anything. But if you reinforce it a couple of times and they get it, now they're going to do it. And we did a we completely changed the meaning of that word because I went mm -hmm. from calling them, calling them, they're not coming, trying to bribe them back with trees, trying to, <laughs> I mm -hmm. did everything. And now I've learned if I say it once, they don't listen. I get the leash. I bring them back. Yep. And that's yep. it. And it improves so much. I mean, of course, Rusty's the best one so far. He's still, I don't know. Bubbles <laughs> recall for me is pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> With you. Yeah. I think like Bubbles is pretty smart because he knows who to listen to over here. He takes full Bubbles advantage has of like me. A Bubbles recall is better than Kemper's recall when he's with me. You, I mean, he spot on. <laughs> spot with you. On. Yes. Yeah. With, this dog is so sassy. Like he is the best, most well-behaved dog when he sees Millie he like changes himself and even when he's at camp he's like constantly in sync with her like he's like so good. <laughs> and with me he's like all right mom bye well that's because Ozzy ruins him he does ruin him oh my god I mean Our let's dog. just go ahead and I mean if we let Ozzy in day camp yeah no way would <laughs> would Bubbles listen to me I don't have to compete with Ozzy who is going and doing the opposite of everything <laughs> you're yeah. saying specifically just with Bubbles too it's almost like he's like on purpose doing that to you yes exactly I mean yeah so I talk about it and all <laughs> you will hear me <laughs> like a broken record talk about that but at least we have i'm i'm pretty thankful that we have pretty smart dogs and too smart they're really smart like they know yep. like as soon as we get to day camp they're perfect angels and then mm -hmm. you know they see ozzy and it's a party mm -hmm. they're okay like they're they're pretty balanced with me like we could you know we we can have a good um relationship there but him when uh, the dogs see ozzy it's party time there's mm -hmm. nothing else to it mm -hmm. um so the next question here says i would love to know the nitty-gritty details of how millie went from dog owner to trainer classes training etc and how andrea and ozzy went from dog owners to a foundation and becoming a rescue thank you so much for the podcast i've been lost in a sea of google searches and it has been unbelievably relief to finally find something that connects with me and what answers I've been looking for. Rachel from Pennsylvania. That was a good question. Yeah, I know. That was a good um, question. Well, do you want to go first? 
Um, I'll start. Yeah. I think yeah. it all started like our relationship. I'll talk about that, like how we all met and how Ozzy and I started from dog owners to foundation and now becoming a rescue. So Ozzy and I, we've always loved dogs. Like we have always had a huge love for dogs ever since I feel since like I'm we sitting back, young. like getting ready <laughs> to be told a story. Yay. So once upon a time, <laughs> um, so we always loved dogs and we uh, grew up around dogs. Now where we're from, I'm from Brazil and I'm glad I'm throwing that out there because I do speak Portuguese and sometimes the words I say, especially on the podcast, come out really funny because I have like a tiny bit of accent. So just... I don't have uh, that excuse. <laughs> I'm from Georgia and sometimes the words I say come out a little bit funny. Well, <laughs> just a disclaimer because sometimes I will say something and it will sound weird. Um, but anyways, we from where we are, we have a lot of strays. It's very, very common for you to have ton of stray dogs and there is nothing you can do about it. Like there is no real animal control that will pick them up. There's no real shelters. And um, it's very difficult because the overpopulation of animals have gotten to a point where they're now on the streets and there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. So we both come from different countries that have that issue. And as we're growing up, we've, I, we talk about this, we've always wanted to help those dogs, but being that we come from families that really didn't know anything about rescue, can't really help, not in the position to, you just have to turn the other way. You know, you mm -hmm. see this dog suffering and you can't do anything about it. Nobody does anything about it. Um, so it's really, it it's kind of sticks with you, especially as you're growing up and as a kid seeing these dogs suffer on the street, they're initiated, they're sick, and there's just nothing you can do about it. So when we got our first dog, he was a rehoming case. Um, and that's when we started to open our eyes a little bit more about rescue. My brother adopted um, his dog that is now staying with us, Kane. And then that got us even more into it. And then as soon as we got to the position where we could do something, that we could advocate more, that's where the foundation came in. And that's when we started to immerse ourselves a little bit more into uh, animal rescue. So it, the actual rescue itself, because when we started the foundation, I never really knew if, you know, we wanted to support people with animals. We wanted to be like an outlet, but we didn't have a rescue. We weren't rescuing. Um, so when we found uh, Bubbles, our dog, um, who we, when we went to visit a shelter, spontaneously decided to adopt Bubbles, like <laughs> Ozzy pretty much put us on the spot and there's just nothing I could do about it. <laughs> so it's my favorite said, story. In front of he all said in front shelters, of a whole crowd. <laughs> we're taking him home and I could say nothing. So we took a dog home that day. <laughs> And uh, knew nothing Smart. about dog behavior and dog training, zero, nothing. I thought everything was going to work out. And it did for a few, I think a month or so until our dogs got in a fight. And it was very, very scary because it's three big dogs. I was by myself and um, it just gave me a panic attack because I, you know, it just, it didn't look good. Yeah. Um, the dogs had to get stitches and... I didn't know where to go from there. So I started to look into training and everybody that I talked to just kept telling me that they sell these packages and we could learn commands and in 10 sessions, my dog would be like this. And it just didn't sound right to me because I thought bubbles had food reactivity. 
and I didn't think traits was going to be an answer to, to what his <laughs> issues were. Um, so actually my mom found mirror image and she said, Hey, call this company. Like, I really like them. We should, you know, you should see how it works. So that's when I wrote Millie a message and mm -hmm. long email, like, this is what happened. Please help me. No, you messaged me on Instagram. Did I? Was it Instagram? Yeah. Okay. You messaged me. <laughs> this is okay. This is going to sound oh, whatever. Okay. It was the day that we opened the center. Um, no, it was our, our open house day, right? I'm upstairs looking at my, for some reason, I don't remember why I was looking through my stories to see who was watching them. Um, because it was all of our footage from the center. So it was like the first look. Right. Um, and I look and I see the blue check mark and I see Ozzy and I call my <laughs> husband and I go, who's Ozzy? <laughs> Is that he is he's he's on the Braves, right? Is that is that, like is he a big deal? And my husband's like, he runs upstairs and he's like, Ozzy obviously is watching your stories. My husband is the biggest Braves fan. Um and then I tell Connor, who's also a huge Braves fan fan. And so I'm and then I look on my um like whatever, you know how on Instagram it doesn't if they're if you're not following them or if they're whatever, it goes on the like the requests. I look on there, I'm like, oh my god, I Ozzy messaged me. What is going on? And then you messaged me about um, if we work with food reactivity. I should go look back and find it. Yes, um, yes. And then I'm telling my husband and he's like, oh my God, this is going to be huge. He's so excited. I'm like, what is, I don't even know who this, I have never, <laughs> this is a secret about me. Here's two secrets about me. Ready? I have never watched an episode of Caesar Milan in my life. Right? So everyone oh who says that yeah, ever in my life. Yeah. Never in my wow, life. Wow. I love uh, that And guy. two, <laughs> two uh i don't really like baseball <laughs> i don't like sports in general i am not a sports girl like that's just not something that i've ever my family i've been raised uh, going to braves games with my dad and my sister um but it's just not ever uh, any amount of sports i don't understand it right i love baseball now because now i get to go with a dog <laughs> So it's True. great. I have no problem with baseball now. Me and baseball are best friends now because now I get to go <laughs> hang out with a dog there and then other people get to come and meet me and the dog and potentially take the dog home. Yeah. I kind of dragged Millie to a few baseball games and now she's <laughs> she's gotten used to the idea. Now I'm okay with it because it's four yeah, dogs. Exactly. Yeah. But that's how it happened. You messaged me on Instagram and I had no idea. I remember calling my husband and going, who is Ozzy Alpes? <laughs> well, see, and then... I didn't like when we found you, we didn't know what we were looking for. I just knew like what the, these other trainers were telling me just didn't sound right. And then I almost got to the point where I was going to send bubbles to this like boarding facility where they're really like they're, they train dogs for like, um, to be like protective dogs. It was like really good training. I mean, the guys, it seems great. Like if you really yeah. wanted to go that route, um, and he was like, you could come and check in on him and, you know, all these things. But I just didn't want to send my dog away. I just, yeah. I, it didn't feel right to me. So when we did that first session, it was Ozzy and I and Bubbles. Bubbles got it. Like the, he just was awesome. We were so impressed because we worked on place. We worked on stay. And then it didn't really make sense to us at first. But then the more we got into it and the more we could see and understand Bubbles, and what his issues were and like how we could make sure he doesn't have to react like that anymore. Mm -hmm. um, the more we saw a change in all of our dogs and it took time, like it took time for us to get to the point where we really understood our dogs. Cause I didn't, I 
didn't mm-hmm. understand them at all. I, I, I didn't see I them didn't. for who they yeah, remember just, it wasn't until the second or third fight that we really figured it out yeah. of like, oh, this is the theme here. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, it was it wasn't food reactivity for sure. So I mean, and that's a good thing that you didn't send them off to a, do a board and train for something that telling the 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 trainer, hey, it's food reactivity because yes, this first fight happened over food, but we don't we don't we didn't have enough information there to really all. truly know, and that would have been what I mean. Board and trains normally run about two to three thousand dollars so then you would have spent a lot of money on training over an issue that wasn't the case wasn't the case and what like the fights that happened it all happened because like i didn't understand bubbles and i didn't ha- really have like information to give millie about his personality so he just took sessions and sessions to get to that mm-hmm. point and like the second fight happened and it wasn't good either it was like over a ball that I threw in the yard or like a a toy rope or something. And the dogs were Mm -hmm. all loose. And then uh, Max, my doodle started to freak out over this new toy Mm. and then bubbles went for it. They fought. And then the third one was um, bubbles and Kane. I used to always let them out running in the yard. um, Like full, like they would, uh, we have a fenced in yard. So when they go outside, I would open the door and they would run out like maniacs and start like body slamming each other. And it's mainly Kane because Kane is really intense when he wants to play and Bubbles doesn't like intensity. Mm-mm. So anyways, we figured out that, you know, Bubbles is just, he doesn't like intensity. He likes calm. He likes to, you know, not, he doesn't like the body slamming, the tugging, um, the rudeness. Like he's not a rude dog. He's, he's super great. He with does direction. when it's in control. Right. So he in likes control. like bubbles yeah. loves like to tug. Like he likes to do all these things that are intense, but as long as somebody else is controlling it. Yes, exactly. If and not, then, he's going to. Yeah. He just doesn't like what I like to describe bubbles. Like he doesn't like rude behavior. He doesn't right. like, he doesn't accept that. And if I am there to correct it, he's going to refer to me now. But before he used to think he, that was on him. Like I need to correct this rude dog jumping on you, being loud, yeah. barking at you, you know? Um, but as we got more and more into the training, I remember the day we decided to start like the, the rescue. Cause I feel like we did so much all at once. <laughs> like I think we started the best chance program and this podcast all in the same hour. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Every time Millie would come over for a session, we would be like talking about, we, she would finish the session and we would spend like another hour just talking about what mm-hmm. if we do this, this, and, this? and all mm-hmm. these uh, ideas started to come about. But then the best chance program, when we started that, our, whole focus and like we talk about it is rehabilitating dogs and offering the support that most rescues can't. So we our sole purpose of the rescue program is to offer support. We work on one-on-one basis with our dogs. Um, mm-hmm. We put all of our resources into that dog. So when we take a dog in, there's nothing we're not going to offer them. If it's if that means getting an impact rate, we're going to get an impact rate for them. If that, if that means, means chiropractic adjustments, you've done that with a lot of a lot of our foster dogs. Exactly, and they um, when they go to that new home, all of the tools the new family needs to have, they have within mm-hmm. you know it, they have everything they need to succeed. They have training sessions. They have, they can talk to the trainers virtually. Um, there is someone they can turn to because a lot of the times once our dogs get adopted two to three weeks in, however long an issue is going to pop up. 
And now Absolutely. this family knows exactly who to turn to. Yeah. They know like they all of our on. dogs get um, assigned a trainer. So any of my trainers, we all will take on a certain dog based on really based on who has the least amount at that current time. Um, and then whether or not that dog, I mean, from the second we pull them, we assign one of the trainers to them. That dog then goes into a foster home. Our foster, um, our foster owners are people who we've worked with most of the time previously with previous foster dogs. Um, so then we are working that, that trainer, that same trainer is working with the foster dog on, um, I'm sorry, the foster owner on, crate training on all the basics, right? On, on place work, on socialization, on leash walking, all of that. So then that way, by the time that the dog goes into a home, not only does the trainer um, uh, have some sort of information about how the dog kind of did throughout the, the first little bit, the trainer knows how to help them take the next step and where what next step needs to happen. So these people who have somebody to turn to, it's not like they're just turning to a trainer who doesn't know the dog. That trainer's already worked with the dog. That's uh, that it, We've already taught the dog some things by the time they even go into a, a home. Exactly. And that's why we run it in the way that we do. Um, we take limited amount of dogs because we need mm -hmm. to place them in the right foster homes. We really, really uh, rely on fosters. We don't have a physical space. So that we need like really serious committed fosters to be able to take this dog on and take advantage of the training and be able to learn and expand their, you know, their really use their resources to their advantage to be able to help this dog. Um, and if you are interested in fostering, please yes, apply, please, please and apply. You get all the support that you need. You will have training sessions with us. You will have access to virtual consults. You will have, um, access to a lot of our, um, online like training guides, things like that. Um, you'll, I mean, I know that if the dog struggles with crate training, we'll offer crate, like, a, a, you know, crates to you, medical care for the dog, not for you. That would be weird. Um, food, all of this stuff. So if you are thinking, if you're local to Georgia, um, Atlanta yes. area, um, please apply to foster. We need more fosters, fosters that like training too. So if you're listening to this, chances are you like training. So please apply. Yes, please apply because we, we need people that understand. So, and I like a little bit off topic, but ideal foster would be someone that understands rescue. When we rescue, we don't know much about the dog. We cannot confirm or deny anything. All we can do is say a little bit about their vet history. We'll know they're healthy. We'll know they received all their shots, but we can't say they're going to do well with your dogs, with your cats, with your kids, with you. Like we don't, we just don't know. Yeah. We, we are not going to take, we're not going to give you a, a bite risk, right? A dog that is right. knowingly reactive to humans and will put you at risk. Um, a lot of times we take in dogs that we at least know a little bit about their temperament, the shelters that we work with. Um, we try to get as much information as possible, but that can change uh, when they're with you. So we need to, like when we work with fosters, when you're taking in a dog, you're going to take them in. We're going to give you all of the things you need to do to make sure you, your family, your dogs, everyone is safe, but you need to be someone that really follows through with direction mm -hmm. and you're going to use the resources. You're really going to learn about the training. You're going to apply that on daily basis because if you don't, then you're, it's not going to turn out well because with this, yeah. this, a lot of dogs that we take in, especially uh, coming from shelters, they need a decompressing period. They need structure. Mm -hmm. They need a lot from us. So 
why we work with a smaller group of fosters is because we need people who get it, who understand. And right now we have two. Yeah. We have two very good fosters. That's how really badly good. we yeah. need fosters. Yes. Um, cause we have two that do the, that do the work that don't, um, that, uh, don't blame the dog for issues that the dog came with, right? I mean, that work on creating a better relationship on building um, skills that help that dog transition into a new home better. So uh, when I say we need fosters right now, we've got two really incredibly solid fosters, which we've talked about doing an episode with both of the the um, Emily and Jamie um, mm-hmm. on to talk about what it takes to foster the good, the bad, the ugly. Um, but yes, if you've thought about it, please, I mean, please, we need good fosters. Yes. Yes. And the good fosters that we have, like example of a good foster, we give you your foster dog and you stick to your foster dog, no matter Mm -hmm. what, like these ladies are not calling me, uh, telling me I can't do this. Please pick up this dog or, uh, you know, this is not the right fit. Like whatever, like they're sticking to the dogs. Like they're, they're helping these dogs. If they get along with their resident dogs or not, they, they know how to manage that relationship because they have, taken advantage of all of the training and the resources that mirror image has offered us. So, um, yeah, so committed fosters are people who don't give up on their fosters. Let's start there. So that's, that's a big one that, um, when we get foster applications, a lot of times it comes with these needs, right? Like I need a dog Mm -hmm. that's hypoallergenic. I need a dog that's going to like my cat. Mm -hmm. I need a dog that's going to do, I just, I can't confirm that. Yeah. So when I call yeah. you and I say, I need you, um, but does the dog, we don't know. We're just going to yeah. tell you, here's a crate. Hypoallergenic I get in case they're allergic, but everything right. else, like, cause, and we do, we have, we've um, rescued a, what? Two doodles. Two doodles? More two than doodles. two doodles? Yeah. Oh, more two than. doodles. Um, um, cause we've had, I mean, Georgia is a hypoallergenic. Oh, right, 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 right. right. Yeah. The so there dogs, are, yeah. I mean. If you need a hypoallergenic dog, we do ha- we can pull dog specific, but that's about it. That's about it. Like I can't, pro- we it. can't promise anything else about the dog because we don't know the dog just like you don't know the dog. Yeah. And that's the whole point of fostering. Exactly. Um, getting back on track before I forget. <laughs> how I don't did know you how become important... a trainer, a dog Yeah, I don't know to how important that is. I'm not trying to make this about me. <laughs> I just don't know if this person wants to become a trainer and needs the information. <laughs> um I started working in animal hospitals. That's that was my big thing. I think I've said that before um, on different episodes here. So if you are looking into becoming a trainer, I highly recommend start starting to work in a, a kennel or an animal. I like the animal hospital one because I do like the medical side of it. I was a vet tech for a while, um, but I also it gave me the ability, fortunately and unfortunately, to see dogs in their most stressed environment and working with them there. So um, when I started in um, in vet hospitals, like I said, at first I worked in the kennel and then I was a tech and then I was in reception. And then um, the animal hospital where I worked sort of created this like department for training, right? They didn't have it originally. And then they, they added it on to the sister clinic, whatever. Um, so I was able to run a big daycare there. Now it is not at all like my daycare that I run here. Um, because it was just your, I mean, it was your typical daycare. I'm, I'm very thankful that I started in that because it was high volume, um, and not uh, centered on training, right? I was able to do training sessions and work with dogs through, um, like handling and vet visit support there because I worked there uh, and did in homes and things like that. But when it came to socialization, I saw like 
the truly the nitty gritty of what it looks like when you put 60 dogs together and you've got two people outside. Um, and uh, sometimes it works. Um, and sometimes it doesn't work. Some dogs have the best time. Some dogs have the worst time. So I, I, I learned a lot from that, but I also, um, there's a lot of things that now I, I specifically avoid because of being able to see it play out like that. But when it comes to like, certifications or classes or things like that. I'm a hands-on learner. So I am very much like I learned this job by doing this job, by slowly sort of working my my way into it. And the people who, well, not the people, but the, the dogs are the ones who taught me what worked and, and what, what didn't work. So it was a lot of times trial and error. I owned two dogs who had severe, severe behavioral issues, three dogs, technically. Um, one of them was a foster who I had for three years, um, who had severe, I mean, insane dog reactivity. And then my other dog had insane human reactivity. And then my other dog was just insane. Um, so I learned a lot of it, of, of what I do from living with dogs with issues, um, on top of being able to work with dogs in vet clinics that, you know, the dogs aren't most of the time having a great time there. I also really like, um, going to workshops. So picking trainers that I, I really identify with. I, I like their style. I like what they're doing and I like to go learn from them in person. It definitely is a more expensive way of educating yourself. Um, but I think it is, I mean, it's, it's valuable. It's extremely valuable. Um, but I, I mean, I have a bachelor's in political science. I was pre-law. Um, and I, was planning on doing animal cruelty law, but instead, um, the reason I started getting into this is because I, I lived in Washington DC for the summer, um, worked for the house of representatives and I started having a lot of panic attacks. And then from there I had, I was diagnosed with an anxiety disorder, was put on a ton of medication, way over medicated. So then that created a lot of other issues. But then during that time, I had to take some time off of school because I just was dealing with a lot of mental, uh, mental health issues during that time is when I found, um, the clinic that I started working in a pack of dogs in. And those are the, that's the big reason that I changed a lot of how I work. I mean, how my brain works. It, 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 I tell people all the time, I and mean, we talked about it um, in the podcast with Everyday Pack Leader of how I learned to get better and not just feel better. And that's where it came from. I mean, I was not supposed to end up in this industry at all. Um, I was not even, this wasn't a plan for me, but it's because I relied on the dog to tell me where I was messing up and I listened to them and I respected their answers so that I could help them get better. I love that. Wow. That was deep. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that was probably a lot more than, uh, than what, what she asked, but yeah, no, uh, but simple that... answer, work in an animal hospital. <laughs> I love that in you were led by passion, you know, and that that's what got you here is your passion and understanding and connection that you've created with, with your dogs and with the dogs that you've worked for. Um, but I love that question because it, I didn't even know all, all the things that I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, uh, yeah, I went to Barry college and have a bachelor's in political science. I would, I prom, I would have made a great lawyer. I just can't with you all really, the people. I could see, I could see lawyer Millie. <laughs> I am I <laughs> extremely argumentative. <laughs> 
I love that. Um, that's awesome. I love that question, like I said, because it really brought it all together because we mm-hmm. we talked about this in different podcasts, but all over the place. Like it was never yeah. one solid uh, explanation. I feel like we threw it in there, yeah. little bits and pieces of our story together. But this was a awesome podcast with uh, episode with all these questions. Thank you guys for writing us. And like we said before, continue to write us. Um, I would say the best place to go when you have specific questions is through the website. We mm-hmm. do our absolute, we try our best to get to the Instagram and to get to the email, but the questions, if you want them answered on the podcast, send them through the email. Yep. Um, go again, go mirrorimagek9.com. You click on think like a dog podcast tab there. You will get all the access to everything that you need from joining the podcast through a video consult to becoming a guest uh, speaker as well. Um, and then try to go and mark your calendars. Like we said for March 1st for the membership page, cause that one is going to be, even if you have tons of questions that would just bring it all together for you. Yep. And if you're one of those people, like a lot of our listeners are like, you know what you need to do. You just don't know where to start. That's where the membership page is really going to help you just bring it all together. And again, you don't have to be um, in Georgia to take advantage of it. You could be anywhere. Anywhere. So, all right. So yeah, don't forget to um, leave us a review. We really appreciate it. We love the reviews. So if you can rate us, um, leave us a star rating or write a message on the podcast, um, Apple podcast, I think you can write a review on there. We truly appreciate it. Um, is there anything else you want to add, Millie? No, that's it. This is a good episode. All right, you guys. Thank you for joining us. And don't forget, practice makes progress. All right. Take care. Bye. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at Think Like a Dog Podcast and follow at Mirror Image Canine for training tips. If you have any questions, please reach out to us via email at info at thinklikeadogpodcast.com.